This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 325. And the quote of the day is, there's no reason to have a plan B because it distracts from plan A. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. Hey, hey, what's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here with another session of the podcast, the Drummer's Resource Podcast. <laughs> hope you're doing well, and I hope that you had a fantastic weekend, or I don't know. You listen to these on Monday, I'm guessing, right? You Like, as soon as they come out, you sit there and, and wait for them to come out. That's what I... That's what I tell myself anyway. That's what makes me sleep better at night. So whatever day of the week it is that you're listening to this, I hope you're having an awesome day. And this conversation is awesome. This is with Bob Gulati and uh, Bob teaches at Berkeley. And the way that actually the way that I became to know or I came to know about Bob is, as most of you know, I listen to fish. I've been a big fish fan for years and he has played with fish before. I actually saw him play with fish uh, and, and he's sort of floated around the fish circles and like people know about him and things like that. So I've always known about his playing and uh, I thought, man, I should really get him on the podcast and lo and behold, here we are. So um, reached out to him. He was, he was extremely into it. And this conversation is, it's filled with a lot of information, not a lot of information, a lot of nuggets. And he talks about his teaching philosophy. He talks about his drumming philosophy, how he came to be friends with fish, sitting in with them. There's a lot of cool stories in here as well. Uh, so I, I, I know that you're going to get a lot from it. So I am going to stop yapping and I'm going to let you get into the goods. I'm going to let you get into this conversation with me and Bob Gulati. Here we go. Bob, how are you? Thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for calling. Of course. Uh, this is this is an interesting conversation to have with you because I've seen you play. Uh, I was telling you off air. I saw you play with Fish. How long? I mean, 90, I think it was like 90, Nine. 99. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was Hartford, Connecticut. It was a long time ago. Yeah, it was a while ago. Um, and your name is always has always like floated around. And I was talking to John Fishman. He was talking. I, I told you. He said that he's like, man, that guy is the best drummer on in the West, and which I think is a is a uh, a compliment for sure. Uh, but there's good reason behind it as well. Um, nice. And so you know, I've I've seen you play. I've watched you play. I've 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 you know, there heard a lot of people talk about you as well. But so I'm glad to actually finally sit down and get to get to chat with you. I want to get a little bit of, of backstory and build some context. I know that you're at Berkeley now, um, but rewinding it. Um, so were you, were you born and raised in, in Boston? Have you have yes. you been there the whole time? Yeah, I've been here. The, uh, you know, I moved around a little bit, but, but I've been, I'm Bostonian all yeah. the way. All the way. Yeah. So how old yeah. were you when you started playing? I was 11. I, so it's been a while. <laughs> I was just thinking there's, there's always, sort of two ages it's like oh i started at two or three or i started like nine ten eleven and i don't know if it's i don't know if it's the fact that you know you're starting in school or whatever the case may be how did you get into it was it in school or did you just did no, you just naturally get gravitated involved, the way i got involved with music was one of my older brothers had a band he played guitar and they used to um rehearse at my my house my parents home and and I used to just sit on the on the stairs and listen and watch and and the drums hit me. Mm-hmm. Uh, that guy gave me one one lesson and I was sold. Oh really? That, that was it. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> who was the who did you take lessons from? Anybody that anyone knows, or just a local guy? Or I was just a local guy. He was good, and uh, he did he did study for a while with Alan Dawson. Okay. Who I, who I ended up with for many years. Oh, did uh, you? Yeah, yeah. All through Berkeley when I was a student at Berkeley. And then after I graduated from Berkeley, I, I continued with Alan for a couple more years at his house. Okay. Which and, is uh, now John Ramsey's house, right? John Ramsey bought yeah. the house. I'm, I've been over there. It's, 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 it's a little spooky, but it's, it's great, man. You know? Yeah. I, um, so Don Lombardi, um, you, you know Don, don't you? Yeah. Okay. So one night I, or I was in his office and he said, oh, I got something for you. And he gave me a little bit of that, uh, uh, I guess it's like notepad paper from Alan Dawson's that I guess John Ramsey had given to him. And it's still like, it smells like cigar smoke. 
Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, he liked the cigars. So yeah. does Ramsey. <laughs> oh, does he? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. I wonder if he found Alan, some. Alan had a them. wonderful way of writing music. It was like just pin drops. And I got a lot of his notes. I still have a lot of his notes. And, and it's just like hieroglyphics. Yeah. But when he explained it, you understood it. What What was it about Alan that made him so awesome? I mean, there were, you know, everyone talks about not only was he an amazing player, he was such a great teacher. And there, what what made him great, though? For me, what made him great is what he did for me. And I believe that Alan had a he had a method. Mm-hmm. He, had, he had a program that he used, but he would punch people in at whatever level they were at in his program. So it was very organized mm. and he gave a lot of work and he demanded uh, uh, your best, you know, right. I learned uh, the, what I learned the most from Alan was discipline and, and, and focus and concentration. In, in what way? In, in playing the instrument or in life? Uh, both, but mainly on the instrument. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, uh, you know. I feel as if um, if you listen to any of the the great great players, uh, w- regardless of of what style of music they play, you know, rock or jazz, whatever, uh, they all seem to have that that focus mm-hmm. and. I, I really believe that that focus is learned in the in the practice room. Right. If you if you can focus and, and, and concentrate really uh, uh, to perfection uh, in the practice room, going on a bandstand makes it that much easier. Sure. Uh, so Alan Alan taught Alan taught discipline and, and focus, mm-hmm. as well as a lot of great material. But it was almost like the material after after all these years, it's almost irrelevant. What I really got from him was it was a sense of of uh, how focused you have to be when you perform. Mm-hmm. So, inside the practice room, I think that's one of the hardest things is that you know the idea of deliberate practice and 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 actually being focused and disciplined enough to get the best results out of your practice. How do you suggest that people do that? How can how can you impart some wisdom on people to develop that focus in the practice room? Yeah, I've thought a lot about this, man, and yeah. and. and uh, I've come up with a, a system that uh, I believe has helped a lot of students and it helped myself. What I do is when I teach, I give a lot of material. Mm-hmm. Uh, at, at Berkeley, uh, uh, I kind of have the reputation of, oh, go to go to Galati, he give you a lot of work. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I pride myself in that, uh, uh, even if I can't get to hear the students do everything every week. But what I, what I try to do is I try to tell them, when you go to practice, I, I think you should know exactly how long you're going to be there before you start. Mm-hmm. So hey, today I got an hour and a half, you know, uh, today I got two hours today. I got an hour. Uh, I, I think it's important to know that. And then with the amount of material I give, uh, I want them to do, do each one equally each day. So in other words, if you have an, if I tell them, if you have an hour and a half to practice and I give you six subject matters, mm-hmm. I want you to do 15 minutes, each subject, put it away. Right. Even if you're right on the verge of getting something, put it away because tomorrow you're going to want to get it. Mm-hmm. Other things I might give you might say, thank goodness the 15 minutes is up, right. but do it anyway. And and it just seems to me, you know, the, the instrument we play, I'm pretty sure it's the most fun instrument in the world. I second that. It's really easy just to get on and start bashing. Mm-hmm. You know, I have students come in, man, I practiced seven hours yesterday. Oh, good. What'd you do? Uh, uh, well, I... Uh, I played a lot. Okay, that's fine and good. But but in the practice room, man, you got to work on the on the on, on the abilities and the skills. And then when you go on the bandstand, there's the reward. Right. You know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm very I'm very I'm very strict with it. I, I want fifty, and I tell the students, don't think of progress every week, but over the course of a semester, we'll see what you've accomplished, mm-hmm. and we'll bend this. We'll bend my program to 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 be more adjustable for what you might need, you know, now or within the next year or two. But I, I really think that that has uh, it, it eliminates a lot of fooling around, right? You know, right. And, and that's pretty important. <clears throat> do you do you sort of look at practice and or just drumming in general the things that you need to work on? Do you compartmentalize them, or do you or do you sort of evaluate each? person on an independent basis and say, Hey, you really need to work on maybe some of your musicality and maybe this and this. So let's work on those three things. Yeah. I like what, one of the things that I also got from Alan Dawson is that he, he, in his teaching, 
I, I got myself a program. Not not necessarily Alan's material, right? Yes, a little bit, and I always tell the students, "Hey, I got this from Alan. I'm giving it to you." But most of the stuff I've come up with, and but what what I've done is it, it has enabled me to have a. I know what you're going to get the next week if you've done the work, mm-hmm. rather than have a teacher that says, uh, oh, "What do you want to do this week?" That I don't agree with. Right. I think the teacher has to have a, a path for a student, and that's that's determined in the first couple of weeks of teaching them. Mm-hmm. You know, even if they think they want to be one thing, I always tell you know students be well. You know, I want to play funk. I want to play this. I want to play just this. I say, man, you're young. You got to get as much information as you can, and then let it all mix together, and eventually you will have a style. Right. Right. Let let the program let let nature take over where you're going to end up. You know, I mean, I grew up playing funk. Mm-hmm. You know, I listened to James Brown. I listened to all the Motown stuff when I was young, and 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 I, I'm a jazz drummer. Right. Right. So who knows? You know. <laughs> I just put this thing up the other day. It said, uh, uh, "Jazz is the teacher, funk is the preacher." Yeah. <laughs> That's perfect, man. That's perfect. Yeah, yeah. You're on top of it, man. <laughs> so how did you make the transition from playing funk to playing jazz? Because, I, I mean, I read that you started playing professionally when you were 15, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was playing very young. That, that doesn't, I, I feel like that just doesn't happen anymore. I think it's just uh, the the venues aren't there. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just, uh, you know, you used to play and, and, and have a gig uh, five nights a week or six nights a week for two years. Right. Now there's four bands a night. Right. In these venues, mm-hmm. you know. And everybody's making 20 bucks. and yeah. it, it, it's, it's just awful. Well, I was going to ask you about being 15 and, you know, did you did you decide at that young age, hey, this is what I'm going to do for a career? But, I mean, you were already you were already a professional at 15. Yeah. I mean, I, there wasn't I, much decision to be made, right? No decision. The, the first lesson I took, that was it. Right. Never done anything else. Oh, that's not true. I, my, my, my father owned a garage, a, a gas station. Mm-hmm. There's five brothers. I had four brothers and myself. And we all, when we were in high school, we all had to work at the gas station in the summer. Right. Well, I only lasted three weeks before <laughs> before he said, go, go practice your drums. It, it cost me a fortune. So uh, I used Why, to- Why, are you I, just not, not working or- abs- Absolutely. I have no clue what I was doing. <laughs> Disinterested and not- you know, back, back then, they didn't have, uh, they didn't have uh, lifts for the right. cars. Right. They had a pit. Mm-hmm. And uh, so my father was a wonderful mechanic, and he, he worked on a lot of Mercedes and Jaguars and a lot of high-end cars. So one day, a guy came in, he wanted an oil change in a Mercedes, and I, everybody else was at lunch or something, and, and I drove the car right into the pit. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> you had to get a crane to pull the thing out. You know, it cost my father a fortune. Oh, my God. That's it. You know, while people would come in and say, "Oh, give me ten dollars worth of gas," and I'd be I'd be pumping the gas and I'd be singing a tune, and next <laughs> thing I know it's twenty dollars worth of gas. You know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> so there, there was no doubt. The, he said, "This is not for you." To this day, I I, I can't even I can't nail a board. No. <laughs> well, I mean, did you ever did you ever think that you were going to do anything else, or you were just like, "I'm just going to play." Yeah, yeah, I'm going to play my instrument and, uh, uh, and and try to make a living, and I have. Right, right. Do you think that you – because I think some people get discouraged when they say, well, I, I like drumming, but I liked all these other things. Do you think you have to have that that sort of one way of thinking about it? Like, this is all I'm going to do. There's going to be nothing else. Or do you think that you can sort of, you can sort of dabble in some other things? Well, I, I, I only know about for me. Right. And for me – there's only one thing, yeah. you know, but for many other people, I'm sure that, uh, you know, they can, uh, like I was really good in baseball when I was young mm-hmm. and I dropped, I just left. Didn't you know? care. Yeah. I wanted to practice my instruments, but, but I'm sure there's a lot of, uh, a lot of fine, fine musicians that have real good hobbies or, or other loves and, and desires. But to, I like two things. I like, well, I like a few things, but I, drumming <laughs> and I love to swim. Oh yeah. Yeah. Keeps you healthy. Yeah. They say it's one of the one of the uh, the best exercises you can do is swimming, right? There's no there's no wear and tear on all the uh, joints and stuff, you know. Right, right, right. Yeah. So when you the transition from being you go to Berkeley 
And did you graduate Berkeley or were you one of the yeah. guys that got pulled out of Berkeley because you had to go on all these tours? I, I finished. Did I you? finished. Yeah, I finished. And uh, uh, for me, the, 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 the most important period of my development was the four years after Berkeley. Uh, you know, I was a good student at Berkeley. I did very well in, in the classes and stuff. And but when I when I I got married my senior year at Berkeley, this is 1972, and uh, uh, my wife and I had one car. Mm -hmm. So I graduated and I was just just playing. I wasn't teaching or anything. I was just playing. And uh, but we had one car and I had to drive her to work every morning. And we happened to live in an apartment. The landlord lived above us and he was deaf. So I could practice all day. Right. And I did for for four years. I did the eight hours, the eight hours. Right. For four years. That Were was you really. Do you feel like you were practicing for eight hours, or do you feel like? You oh were, yeah. Yeah. No, I, there, I, from my lessons and my studies with Alan, I, I did very, very close to that. Yeah. Right. I took take a break for lunch or something, but uh, I'd drive her to work at eight thirty in the morning, and I'd pick her up at five thirty. Right. Right. That went on for years. You know, for four years. Mm -hmm. That to me, that to me was a crucial period, and, and having and I was still with Alan. At his house, so I, I I always had more material to work on. And, right, you know, right. Yeah. There's there seems to be, and I've said this before on the podcast that I feel like if you want to master this instrument or at least pursue mastering this instrument, there has to be a chunk of time, whether it be like you said, those four years or something. There has to be this chunk of time where you're playing, practicing six, seven, eight, nine hours a day. I mean, that I did it in college. Everyone I know you know, went through everyone I've talked to went through this, this chunk. You don't have to do it forever. I don't think. No, no, I, I agree with you a hundred percent. Yeah. I remember very clearly those four years. I mean, I still practice an awful lot, but I don't have that kind of time anymore. Of course. Yeah. yeah. But uh, um, yeah, I think you're right, Nick. I, I think you're right. The, the, all the great players I know, there was that one period in their development that they really got to work. Yeah. Yeah. And the, mu the music demands it. Mm -hmm. I mean, music, no matter how good you get, the music is going to kick your butt. Yeah. You're never above the music. There's always know? something to learn or a way that, something that you can improve or interpret differently. Or Of course. You know, coincidentally, we had mentioned John Fishman. When I was in college, I was listening to Fish and I'm reading articles of John. And, and you know, and he's saying, yeah, I was practicing, you know, between eight and 12 hours a day. And I mm. said, man, I got to get mm. my stuff together. Yeah, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not. I'm he's not very good, man. What's that? He's very good. Yeah, yeah. You know, he does. He's very, very good. You know, he comes down for lessons now and then. Oh, does you he? Know? Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, when I played with them, uh, you know, we played two drum, mm -hmm. two drum yeah. sets. Yep. And uh, uh, he's rock solid. I yeah. mean, he's solid. So, you know, they wanted me. I asked him, I said, you want me to learn some of your tunes? Nope. Don't learn anything. Just improvise around us. So for me, that was easy. Right, and sometimes I'd hook up into the groove, and sometimes I'd act like a percussionist. You uh -huh. know, um, then I, I did a little tour with him in the south, and, and after Hartford, it, it was a lot of fun. You know, awesome. How did uh, you guys yeah. get connected? Uh, well, it's it's funny. I I, I didn't know it, but uh, you know, there was a side project that Fish and uh, Fishman and and, and Trey uh, put together. It was it was a thing called Surrender to the Air. Mm -hmm which was a, a, an album that uh, I was on with them uh, on Warner Brothers. And uh, what they did was uh, they hired four guys from Sun Ra, mm -hmm. big band, yep. John Modeski, myself, Mark Rebo, O'Teal, the bassist, uh, uh, Budridge. That's how you pronounce his name, oh, I think. O'Teal Burbridge, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it was like 11 or 12-piece band, and we just went went into uh, Jimi Hendrix studio. They called me out of the blue. Trey calls and man, we'd love to, we're going to, we'd love to have you on this project. We're going to do it's, it's not going to be any music involved. We're just going to improvise for three days in the studio. And he gave me a price and I said, yeah, that'll work. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, 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 so we did it and the album came out and it was, it was a wonderful success for them. Uh, as far as, uh, uh, what the music actually was, which was just really, really free jazz, mm -hmm. you know, and um, they sold a lot of copies of it. And, in, 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 you know, for, for many years, I got ro royalty checks on that because the um, the royalties were split because it was improvised. Oh. So, 
we all got the same. It was very, very well, very professional, oh, man, really well done. And a Jimi Hendrix studio in New York, Electric Lady uh, Land. Electric Lady well, Land, yeah. In a wonderful situation. So from there, at the end of those three or four days, that band did four or five concerts. Mm. And because Trey and Fish were involved, the, the places were packed, you know, the theaters. Right. And, uh, you know, we made a lot of money from that as well. So it was very good. So at the end of that little project, he said, you know, if you guys have kids or, or even if you are interested, you want to come and see Fish, uh, just call the office and we'll get you tickets. So. I don't know, maybe six months after that thing ended, my son called me. He was in college at the time. And uh, he said, hey, Dad, uh, do you think you can get tickets to fish in Hartford? And I said, I can find out. How many do you want? He said, five. So <laughs> get five, you know. But I'll say, so, hey, hey come on. get, get you, yeah, you, know. you When you call for tickets, you get one and maybe a plus one. You get five. Right. Yeah. <laughs> he wanted five. So I called the office and, and his one of the secretaries said, uh, we'll get right back to you. Five minutes later, Trey called and said, no problem. We'll give him the second row and uh, uh, we'll give him backstage passes and stuff. I said, beautiful. Awesome. And then he called me back about an hour later and said, man, what are you doing that night? And I said, well, I have a gig booked, but why? He says, why don't you come and play with us in Hartford? Right. But don't, but don't tell your son. Nice. So I, I'm on, right? And I don't know if you know, and you were there, huh? So yeah, I was there. The drums were way up on a crane, like. Oh, they dropped them down. Yeah, yeah. They it down, you know, and 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 I could see my 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 son and his friends. Uh, uh, also on the intermission, they played one of the Fringe albums, one of my group's uh -huh. albums. And you know, the next week we sold like five thousand copies. Really? The record company called. It was an Italian label called Soul Note. He said, man, what's going on? All of a sudden, you're selling. I said, I don't know. And then I realized. They're playing it during. They played it for that, the break. And Fish's Fish is fan, like they've rabid fans. So they're gonna, there's going to be people on the webs on online saying, hey, what was that song in the middle of the set? And blah, yep. Unbelievable. So, so it, was very, it was very good. And then in the second half of that concert, I, I played. Right. And uh, it, it, was, it was wonderful. My, Did your my, son freak my, out? Much older now, and he just said that was a, a great night for us, me and my buddies. You know, man, I can't even imagine. He's like, he, you know, he wants to go see. He's like, oh my god, there's my dad. And he saw the drums come down. I could see him from backstage. Right. And he said, "That's my father's set." And he, his friend said, "Come on, you know." Right. And it was, you know, so it was pretty fun. It was a lot of fun. That's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. So tell, so maybe I'm so Sunra. So tell me how the whole Sunra thing works. Well, that, that that's a that's a big band, right? And they're still going. Sunrise has passed, but well, uh, I know that, yeah. And they just kept they just kept the the band going. Ashley Allen took over, so they, uh, you know, it was uh, it was there was some written music, but uh, Ra's whole thing was to, to express yourself. So mm -hmm. sometimes it sounds like total chaos, but it's not. Right. I didn't realize you were part of that orchestra. No, I wasn't part of the orchestra. Oh, I, okay. I, I did sub for it a couple of times, but I wasn't part of that orchestra. Okay, they so that you were saying they hired some guys from Sunra and then as yeah. and then hired you as well. Okay, that's why I was confused. I was thinking I didn't realize that he played for. Okay, yeah. I got. And you. I played with Marshall Allen, and I played with John Gilmore, and I and I I played with them, but not not necessarily with the Sunra orchestra, but those players, yeah. Right, right. But I've listened to them for forty years, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I there I'm forgive me because I'm bouncing around and I usually don't do uh, I usually don't do things in chronological order. That's just the way I I tend to, to I tend to go. Um, so with with you teaching at Berkeley was I'm always curious um, for guys who are working, touring, playing, and <clears throat> they get a, either a job teaching or they'll get a gig doing something else. For you, were you thinking, "Hey, I'm going to have a family. I'm going to have kids. Uh, you know, I can I can work at Berkeley. I can have a steady gig. I can go on the road when I want." Was it for you? Was it your drive to teach, or was it sort of the drive to to want to stay home more and and be more local? Well, you know, I don't know, but you know, I've only been at Berkeley for seven years. Okay, you know, and uh, because I mean, they were calling me since 1980. Why don't you come in and do a couple of days? And I, I was always afraid that if I took the gig, I couldn't travel. Mm. 
And during the 80s and 90s and t- right up to 2000, I, my group, The Fringe, we were, we were doing a lot of touring. Right. And uh, I so thought I, you were at Berkeley a little bit longer than that. Yeah, a lot of people think so. Uh, but, but no, I did clinics there every year for them and stuff. Okay. But I, I was on the faculty. But seven years ago, John Ramsey called and said, uh, what do you want? <laughs> and and that, was, that was the doorway. Right. <laughs> so I got what I wanted. And, and it's a great job. Yeah. And I now I know I can still travel. Mm-hmm. So yeah. my contract is, is quite strong. So that's awesome. Uh, yeah, it's very good. You know, and the health insurance comes with it. Of course. I yeah. never had, you know, I paid that my whole life by myself. So it, it's in a, a 401k. I never had that. Yeah. What's that? <laughs> yeah. Now I know. And, and now yeah. I wish I had started in 1980. Well, of yeah. course. Yeah. 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 Uh, but it, it's a good see. Yeah. Around around that time, uh, maybe in the early 80s, I, I gave up playing any commercial music. Mm-hmm. And I started to teach privately okay. to substitute that income. And uh, so I, I, I did very well right here at my house for many, many years with a full schedule of students. Mm-hmm. And most of my students were the professional drummers around town that wanted to get some new stuff. Right. It's, you know, so I didn't, never took kids, you know. Uh, I'm not good with young kids, so mm-hmm. I can do it. But uh, I, I've always been able to make a make a, a good living just right here in my own house. Right. But but now Berkeley's another story. Mm-hmm. It's a great job. So I'm happy I'm there. What's yeah. that? I'm happy I'm there. Uh, I'm sure that I'm yeah. guessing they're happy that you're that you're there as well. I you know I think it's I think that when you were coming up and you were you know you were touring heavily. Obviously, the times have changed. Uh, I think it's. A lot harder to do it now and the one thing that that i applaud you for and i have a question about too is the fact that one you went into teaching because you love teaching a lot of people do it just because they can't get enough work or or whatever the case may be and the the flip side of that is how much of that was you thinking i learned all of this stuff from alan dawson and i want to keep i want to pass the torch both uh for me the teaching uh was a way that uh, I didn't have to play commercial music. Okay. I, and I still won't, you know. Why is uh, that? Just I, not- I just, I, 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 I don't want to go to a gig that, that I'm already mad before I get there. <laughs> you know, because the people are going to be, t- you know, they're not listening or they're not going, you know, well, you got to play just, uh, you know, weddings and stuff. I just don't want to do, I didn't, I did many of them. I did right. a lot of them. But once, uh, you know how it happened for me? I was, did a wedding gig one time, and Mick Goodrick was on the gig, mm-hmm. a giant of a guitar player, yeah. you know. And when I got to the gig, I could see his face. He just did not want to be there. <laughs> and I said to myself, man, if I ever have that look, why do it? Yeah. And sure enough, a year or two later, I went to one of these gigs, and, you know, the father of the bride comes up and starts banging on my cymbals and I said, no, don't do that. And he says, ah, this is my, I'm paying you. I can do what I want. And uh, I get up, I left. I packed my drums and left. Really? Yeah, the band leader said, man, don't do it to me. I said, I'm out of here. And that was the last one I ever did. Really? It, yeah, it just, it just, it got me wrong. It got, it really hit me, man. It, what am I doing? Just prostituting myself. So I substituted that with taking on a few students here at the house. Because people, I'd be playing around town and say, man, do you teach? Mm-hmm. Say, no. But I might, you know. Well, can I contact you? So it built up really fast. Right. I'm doing 40 hours a week for 35 years. Wow. And, uh, uh, but you know, it was right down, just get up 10 minutes before I start. And yeah. You're your own so, boss. You don't have to worry about any father-in-laws hitting your symbols. And that's right. You know, so that's why I, 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 I started to teach and then I realized how much I enjoyed it. Right. You know, I, I love to see people improve. I love to see people get serious about the instrument. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so it's not just fun and games. You know, right. it's, it's 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 an art. So, uh, and and now I, I feel as if <clears throat> I can I can teach well, and 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 uh, uh, I get some of the finest students at Berkeley. They 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 they're lining up to study with me because I do give a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Some of the guys, you know, what do you want to do? You know, and it doesn't mean they can't teach them anything. Of course. Right. Of course. But uh, I, I like the discipline uh, and, and try to help uh, really good drummers uh, get even more focused. Mm-hmm. You know? What makes a good teacher? Someone who worked hard. 
and I had to because Dawson used to kick my butt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, I'd go in and, and play a couple pages of the of something for him, and and, and not make a mistake, and and he'd say he'd say, "Great, we we'll do it again next week." And I say, "Why?" He said, "Just just do it, just do it." And I'd do it again the next week, and I realized he was after me developing a sound, right? Not just right or mm-hmm. wrong, but creating sound, and uh, that that. that 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 was invaluable to me. Sure. And, and I demand that of my students, too. You know, before we move on to another subject, let's get this thing to sound good. Right, know? right. And, uh, so it, it, it helped. You know. I think it's sort of human nature, and I know that I've done this, you know, as a younger player. Hell, I do it now. That you learn something, and we sort of say, okay, that's good enough. And it's almost like, well, I can, I know how to play it. You know, like, oh, I'm going to learn, you know, whatever. I'm going to learn a paradiddle. Okay, I know how to play it. I got it. I can, I can move on to the next thing. It's like, yeah, but c- can you really play it? Like That's you right. can, you can mimic. I mean, you know how to play it, but can you play it? Can you move the accents around? Can you change the, you know, change the you make uh, music? Yeah. Right. Right. Can yeah. you start moving it around the kit? Can you start, you know, playing it on different beats, all that other stuff? It's like, well, no, I can't do all that. It's like, yeah. well, then you can't play it. That's right. You know? So yeah, my, my philosophy on that is you might learn some skills and then you almost got to forget about them. Uh-huh. And just see what has just landed inside you. Mm-hmm. And then uh, six months later, you might say, man, where'd that come from? Right. Then you know you learned it. Support from this podcast comes from DW Drums. They've been supporting this podcast since day one. And I would appreciate it if you supported them. This podcast is free because of them and it remains free because of them. So all I ask is that my listeners do support the people who sponsor the podcast. You can learn more about DW by going to dwdrums.com. Musicians Institute is the official education partner of Drummer's Resource. And if you want to take your playing to the next level, if you want to learn about performance, the music business, you want to learn from people who are out there doing it, have been there, done that, then look no further than Musicians Institute located right there in the heart of Hollywood, California. You can learn more about them, their faculty, their state-of-the-art facility, and much more by going to mi.edu. Hey, if you're headed to PASIC this year, be sure to stop by the Dream Symbols booth. They're celebrating their 10th anniversary, and they're going to be unveiling their first prototypes of their limited edition 10th anniversary 24-inch small bell flat ride, and each one is hand-painted, so these symbols are going to be visually and sonically pieces of artwork, and these anniversary symbols are only going to be limited to a run of 100, and they're going to be released at NAM. but you can see them first at PASIC. They're also going to be giving a Away, a bunch of swag of t-shirts and all that kind of stuff plus a new vented pang 22 inch they're giving that away and displaying some really cool a f drums they've even doubled the size of their booth because of their 10th anniversary so if you're heading to PASIC, be sure to check out the dream booth and get at least some free stuff and maybe you can win some stuff as well for more information you can go to pasic.org or you can go to dreamsymbols.com to learn more about dream check them out Have you seen the new Promark Firegrain sticks? Not only are they really, really cool looking, but they also utilize a revolutionary heat tempering process that transforms ordinary hickory drumsticks into precision tools with unprecedented durability. Keeping their original weight and balance and feel, these Firegrain sticks allow drummers to hit harder and play longer naturally. There's no excess vibration or space age gimmicks, just natural hickory hardened by flame. And unlike other drumsticks that use synthetic alternatives that transmit excessive vibrations, Firegrain drumsticks remain the natural feel, weight, and balance that you can expect from regular Hickory. You can learn more about them and pick your perfect balance by going to Promark.com. Let's get back into it with Bob Gulati. There was something that I struggled with for a very long time, and maybe you can shed some light on this and, you know, because I'm sure that the listeners have the same sort of problem, is learning something, learning it, you know, forward, backwards, you got it, you understand it, you can play it, but then it never translates into your playing. You can play it on a practice pad or you can play it on the kit when you're not playing music. You can sit down behind the kit and you can play it, but it never makes itself into your playing without sounding forced or without sounding contrived. Yeah. Well, I think there is an answer to that. And that is whatever skills you're learning, sing it. Mm. Look at a vocalization. If right. you can sing it, then it'll it'll come out in in some kind of musical passage. Mm-hmm. 
So you're not even thinking what it is. You're just thinking of that musical passage. So that, that's what I try. In other words, if I teach somebody in a head to a, 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 a Charlie Parker tune, it's a blee bop ba doo ba doo dee doo bee, right? I want that vocalization even better than the hands. So eventually, while you're doing your trading fours or you're doing a longer solo, uh, you can actually sing what you want to play. Mm. But you have to have the language. You have to know the language, whether it's a funk language or a jazz language or latin american language or cuban language yeah you really have to every instrument i think there has to be some vocal right no one i was the worst i mean i just sound (laughs) corny you know and uh but you know i do work really extensively with the with the charlie parker omni book which is Mm -hmm. a saxophone transcription book right and i've learned to sing maybe 90 percent of the book and that's my language really yeah yeah yeah, I I can twist and turn it, but I can tell I can tell my hands what to play because of that. Hmm. In the jazz, in the jazz idiom, right? You know. So let's. I want. Do you mind if we sort of boil this down a little bit and and unpack it? So like, let's take something super simple. Like, well, I just I said paradiddle earlier, so let's say like a paradiddle, hmm. and you play it. Okay, now you go to the kit. Do you start singing it differently? Do you start changing the orchestration? That's a good question. One thing I might do say say you did a triple paradiddle. Okay. That 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 doo that 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 doo right? But if you separate the two hands, there's a melody on each hand. Mm-hmm. So I would have the students sing the right hand. Dot 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 do that dot 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 do that dot dot dot. So you might be playing a funk thing. Goom dot do boom dot 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 goo goo ga ga zoom as a fill. Mm-hmm. So you, you're not necessarily thinking oh, I'm going to do a I'm going to do a triple paradiddle right now, but you might play that melody. Right. So therefore, you're applying a, a skill, mm-hmm. but in a musical way. Why do we have this mental breakdown as drummers and to sort of look at them like they're two different things? Yeah, because we're drummers. Because we're what? Because yeah. we're drummers. <laughs> you know. Uh, I don't know. It's. A, I guess you, you can think of this instrument in such a technical terms, but in reality, the greatest players are making music, just making music. Right. You know? Right. And that, that's another thing I really have my students try to do. Don't if you're going to sit down and just play, make music, mm-hmm. and be able to create something. Right. That that's a tangible. You know, uh, if it's tangible to yourself, it'll be tangible to an audience. Sure. You know. Uh, rather than just fool around, you mm-hmm. know. Well, a lot of times, you know, I think that we don't know what we don't know, and we, you know, you, you there's been, pl- I know that there's been plenty of times where I'm playing something, and I'm like, man, this is hip, and then you know, somebody comes up to me and they're like, hey, man, that's not, uh, it's not as hip as you think it is, you know. Yeah. And you're thinking, oh man, I thought I was they're like, no, well, I don't yeah. know what you're doing there or what you're trying to do, and I had, you know, I had some of those hard lessons, and I think we all need to learn them, but For sure. but like, how do you, how do you know? You know, <laughs> until you know, you don't. Right. Yeah, you're right. If you're yeah. getting fired a lot, you're not. What's your plan's not hip. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I don't think there's, I mean, if you listen to the African drum history, there, there's nothing that we play now that hasn't been played. Right. You know, it's just the context mm-hmm. and the actual sonic of it, the sound that you produce. But I mean, no, the you know the history of drumming. <laughs> I don't see how something is is no one's ever done it. Right, right. I, I just don't, I don't I don't so I don't really believe in that. You can make it sound like no one else. Sure. You know, uh, because of your touch or your the instrument you play or whatever you know. Uh, but yeah, I know that feeling. Matter of fact, I, I strive for that every night I play, man. Especially with my own group, because we don't play tunes; we just improvise. It's completely and, improvised. Completely improvised. Yeah, we've been doing it together for forty-five years. Wow. So I mean, that's that's what we do. Although because it's free music, uh, we might go into a tune. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good. Yeah, unplanned. You know. Uh, so I want to create music constantly. I, I, I want you know in the in the free bag in the free thing. Uh, uh, people always ask me, especially students that come and hear us play every week, and they say, "Man, what are you thinking about?" I said, I'm not thinking. Yeah. You all are thinking in the practice room. When I'm playing, I'm blank. Right. I want to just listen and react. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, that's the purest. 
and most likely you're going to get uh, uh, something original. Yeah, and I think that's where that's where that magic happens. But it's, uh, I, and I'm saying I don't know. Maybe it's easier for other people, but for me, that was a hard thing that I struggled with as a younger player of understanding, you know, understanding music in those terms and making it a conversation and getting my agenda out of the way and just letting the music do what it does and. And I don't know, and and you would know this better than I. But but can you teach that kind of stuff? I mean, is is it you know how how do you learn how to how to play with other? I mean, I learned it from getting yelled at. And, yeah, you know and that's um, part. Of it. That's part of it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, my my philosophy. I mean, that's a very deep question, and and it's a very good question because it it, it it's the essence of what we're trying to do is to create sound, create music. But what I what I try to tell people to help them get there it's 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 not like teaching a paradiddle you know it's not it's 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 not cut and dry like that it has to come with experimentation it has to come with people yelling at you it has to you know with with the thing but what i try to have them do and i and i talk about this concept my group is a trio Mm -hmm. saxophone bass and drums and what i'm when i'm playing and really feeling like something is being created i hear it as a quartet I hear the bass, the drums, and the saxophone, and I hear the result of those three. And what I try to do is put myself earwise into that fourth dimension, so to speak. Huh. Uh, the result. Right. And I can twist it, I can turn it, I can shape the music another way. I can uh, but I'm open to what the music is. And and when I'm when I'm when Ness is really successful, I'm totally blank. Right. I'm just listening to the result and reacting. Right. And hopefully with the year's experience, uh, it, it's a, a musical answer. Sure, you know? sure. But, uh, Do you think like you the, can only learn that on the bandstand? Uh, yeah. No, you can learn it in rehearsals. And, and you, you know, I mean, one thing with- Or with let me the, rephrase that. Not, not, you have to learn it with other people. You can't learn yeah. it by yourself in the practice yeah. room. In other words, it has to be at least two players in order to get a trio. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've done thousands of hours with George Garzon, the sax player, right. in the, and just duo. Right. And, you know, we blend. People talk about it. Man, there's a blend amongst you three. It's just it's a unique sound. Mm-hmm. That's because we're hearing the result of the three of us. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think it's a new thing. I think people like, uh, you know, Sun Ra, I think of, of – of, of, uh, uh, some of the more modern Ornette Coleman and those cats, they, 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 they created a sound because they heard the result of what they all do. Yeah. 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 I mean, even modern time, you know, like looking at guys like fish, you know, like, I mean, I think of those guys and they're like, they, One, you know, it's them. Yeah. They sound yep. like, they sound like fish, you know? That's, that's um, right. And, you know, and not to, not to belabor this point, but you know, the, the frustrating part is when you're on that journey and again, I'm speaking from personal experience, but when you're on that journey, you're trying to figure this out. You're trying to play more musically, trying to add to the conversation. And you think what you're doing is quote unquote correct, you know, but you, you still don't know if, you know, you, you still don't know if you're actually serving the music or if you just think you are. And I, because I'm sure the guy that's like chopping all over the music and doing all this stuff on some level is like, I'm playing well, you know, I'm doing the right thing here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. Sometimes the less is better. Yeah, you know that's that's part of the thing with drums, man. Sometimes the the the, the space between the notes is more important than what you actually play. Yeah. You know? uh, but the, yeah, no, I, I agree with what you just said. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a it's a hard thing because it's 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 what we're talking about is the art. Mm-hmm. Art. When you speak about art, it's always an abstract. Right. It's it's not. It's on, not on the paper. It's behind the paper. Exactly. You know, it's, it's, but it's it's a a wonderful subject to to delve in. Mm-hmm. You know, because it, it's it's you're working on creating something that's that's uh, not just a, a rehash of what's been done. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. But you have to take all your experiences in order to get that thing to be uh, to be uh, rich. You know, rich sure. in it. You know. Yeah. Something that you said about notes uh, made me think that I read an article that about how when people talk, if they use a lot of ums and they stammer and, and all that in between the words, mm. that they're 
nervous or they don't have complete control over their their vocabulary and all that. And I think of that with drummers once in a while too, to where they don't have the experience or they don't have the confidence for that space. I mean, space is hard. That's a, it's a scary thing to play one note, you know? And I think about with drummers and I wonder if it's the same translation of where they're it's nerves and it's, and it's not command of the instrument. And that's why they play so many notes, not they, we, because I'm, I'm as guilty as everyone else. Sure. Yeah. You know, it depends on the situation you're in. In in my situation with, with the fringe, my group, uh, there is no, harmonic instrument there's no piano no guitar you know so i do a lot of the comping Mm -hmm. so i can be quite busy but if i go play a gig with there's a piano player or a guitar player i automatically cut my ideas in half right because you want the other person who's comping where maybe it's the piano player or a guitar player you you gotta you can't bury their ideas Mm -hmm. it's for the conversation is is you know uh, uh between the compers if there's guitar piano and me I play maybe one third of my thoughts. Right, right. And that, that allows the, 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 the soloist who was ever doing a solo, he's not hearing Morse code behind him. <laughs> and you hear it. You hear it even in some really good bands. Yes, it's, you do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can hear it. I just, you know, whether, whether I can play correctly is, is another topic, but at least I can hear what's going on. And I'm like, mm, I don't know if that's the, I don't know if that's the right musical choice that, that these guys yeah. should be making. That's trial and error, Nick. That's trial and error. Yeah. You know, yeah. As long as you get, you, you can, I tell everybody, man, get, get a group of people that there's no ego shit going on. Yeah. And experiment. Yeah. Whatever style music you want to play. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, I was fortunate enough in my junior year at Berkeley uh, in 1971. I say, hey, let's do a jam session with, with a couple of my buddies. And, and we're still doing it. Right. It's that's been cool. all those years, you know. Yeah. Oh, it's really cool, you know. Uh, but there's never been an ego problem. If, if, if I screw up, they, I, don't, I don't get the look. Or if they screw up, I don't give them the look. Because we're, we're trying to deal on that other level. Mm-hmm. The salt you know and uh, it's a wonder so i tell everybody man try to find even just one other musician that there's no ego you know i mean there's plenty of ego in the band right nothing negative you know yeah yeah Uh, it's not i'm better than you or you're better than me it's it's the music is more important than in the individual you know and i think even the the humble i mean tell me if you agree or disagree but i think even the humblest of cats when they get on this stage have some ego that it's hard to shed of course they have to yeah you know yeah. but but it can never go you can't you can't put that ego above the music because the music will kick your ass yeah yeah it'll just kill you it'll kill you yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> no matter what style you play somebody's always funkier the music is always uh, swinging more or uh, 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 more open you know whatever the style is right uh, <clears throat> so you know i remember I did a gig, man, I must have been maybe 18, and uh, I'm playing, and, and, and it was a jazz gig with an organist from Washington who had moved up to Boston to get his master's degree at, at New England Conservatory, and we're playing, and Roy Haynes came to the gig, mm-hmm. uh, and I froze. Uh, I would have, too. <laughs> I completely froze. I, I sounded like crap, and he and the organ players looking at me, what are you doing, man, play? I was, ah, you know. And after the set, the first set, I, I got, I left the club and just started walking. And I was so angry at myself and so disappointed. And who did I hear? I hear, hey, Bob. And I turn around, it was Roy Haynes. He said, let's take a walk. So we're walking. Did he you says, know him? No. No. <clears throat> he knew the organ player, but oh, okay. he didn't. You know, he just he t- must have told him my name. So we're, we're walking a little bit. And he said, you know, uh, I said, you know, I'm not, I'm not a, a great drummer or anything like that, but I'm not as bad as what you just heard. Right. But because you were here, I got so I, I, I froze. He said, let me tell you a story, man. He said, the first time I got called from Coltrane, he said, I mean, I was with Sarah Vaughn. I was playing with Charlie Parker, everybody. I was a real well-known pro. Right. And he said, but when train called me because Elvin couldn't make a gig, I froze exactly what you just did and i said no come on he says i'm telling you the music was so deep over my head i froze and he said train took me for a walk 
And he says, you know, Roy, I might be considered the best jazz musician on the planet, but I'm this big. Right. Y'all, this big. We're the same. Now let's go play some music. And that's what I did. The next set I played like I had never played before. Nice. It was from that inspiration. But Coltrane sang... You know, he's only this big because music is the whole universe and he right. might be the best on this planet. So what? I'm just a peanut. Right, you know? right. And, uh, you know, I try to convey that kind of that kind of vibe to anybody who's really self-conscious or uh, uh, getting angry at themselves because they don't feel as if they're moving up in the world of music. But, man, you just you just got to the music comes first. Yeah. If, if you have to play less to make the music better, you play less. If you have to play more, you play more if you can, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, that 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 was a life-changing thing for me, that yeah. conversation, you know. Yeah. And, you know, I know Roy a little bit now, and, uh, 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 you know, he's 92, and he's still burning. I know, you know? I know. I know. That's one guy I, I would love to have on here. Unbelievable. He's, I just don't, you know, I don't know how he does it. I don't he's, know. He's Roy Haynes. That's yeah. how he does that it. He's Roy Haynes, yeah. So you know, you, go ahead. You know, I was just saying, I think that uh, uh, there's a little bit of Alzheimer's coming in, mm -hmm. but not when he picks the sticks up. Right. Yeah. Right. Which, which to that, I'm, that is amazing to me. You know, that yeah. you sit behind the drums and it's like, I don't know, maybe it's another part of the brain or something. It's another part of the brain. I think that's what it is. Because yeah. it, it was, he was here in Boston uh, not too long ago and I went to see the, the gig and he uh, he talks a little more than he used to, mm -hmm. you know between tunes and stuff but he's got a lot to say too yeah you know? just the stories alone you know and uh but he announced uh, uh, oh okay we're gonna play this tune and they played the tune and, and, and right afterwards he did the exact same announcement and called the same tune again ah uh. the piano player said roy we already did it oh oh okay so it's getting a little funny right right that's a shame. But, well, he's 92, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's 92. Full, full life and still kicking ass. So good That's for him. It. Good That's for him. It. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I want to I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about career because I know that you're, you know, in Berkeley, you're dealing with people who are there who want to do this professionally and you're dealing with the younger generation of players. And, yeah. you know, a lot of people who listen to this podcast, one of two are either younger players that want to do this as a career or are maybe already doing it or in a day gig and trying to figure out how to balance the two. Um, mm -hmm. What's your advice now in, in the climate of, of the music industry and how it is now of, of making this a living? Do you suggest that people just play drums for a living? Uh, what's your take on all that? Well, I, I would say that uh, <clears throat> it is much more difficult now uh, to, to earn a, a decent living. But if you, if you are good, and you're honest about it, you're on time, you do your job, you don't fool around with whatever you fool around with, uh, uh, and, and stay as professional as possible. I don't think there's a profession any more uh, uh, stable than mm. the music. I really don't. Yeah. I mean, I have students that come here to the house still, and, uh, you know, they're business people, and one of them has been with a big company for years and years. They just fired him yeah. out of the blue, but he's got his music. So he says, I'm going to be able to get back. No, I, I think that uh, it's definitely different, but it's it's not necessarily negatively different, uh, except for there's a lot more players. Mm -hmm. Oof. I mean, just Berkeley's got great players. 700 drummers. What's that? And Berkeley's got 700 drummers. <laughs> and they can all play. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so it, the competition so you got to get you got to get it together man you got to be serious you can't be you, because this if, if, if you're wasting time uh you know uh if you're wasting time there's there's a hundreds more that aren't right so if you're serious you got to get really serious as soon as possible but i mean the talent that's coming up it's it's remarkable i know I don't know whether it's because of, you know, programs like this or the videos or whatever. But, man, there's some kids 18, 19 years old coming into school that are just ridiculous. Mm -hmm. But they don't have experience. Right, right. You know, so that that can't be the, that. you got to get on the bandstand. Right. You know. I think uh, the difference is now, you know, years ago, if you wanted to – if I wanted to go see Dennis Chambers play, I had to wait till he came to town or I had to buy his one DVD and you get that DVD and you – they're VHS and it lasts you for six months or eight months and then you go buy a different one. And now it's like I can watch Dennis Chambers and Billy Cobham and I can watch Roy Haynes and you and me and this and that and like and I can watch it all in a day and I know. at the same I know. time. 
and that that that's that's part of the uh, the, the thing. The only thing is that the, because they can do that, and and they get some skills. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's really remarkable, actually. Uh, but that doesn't make it so they get on a bandstand and play well. Absolutely not. That has yeah. to come with experience. So. Yeah. That's why I'm saying, man, find a few players, find some guys you can get along with, or guys and gals that you can get along with, and just play. Mm-hmm. Eventually, it's going to go on the bandstand as a, as a more uh, secure player. Right, you know? right. You know? Yeah, I think – You can't teach someone how to deal with a bass player that slows down. You can't deal with <laughs> – no, I thought you know, all bass players slowed down. <laughs> you can't teach that. No, you know? no. That has to be done on the bandstand. Funny story. There was a MD uh, that I worked with for a while, and he was the bass player. Not picking on bass. He just happened to be the bass player. And he would count off tunes. You know, he would either count them off really, you know, one, two, one, two, three, four, boom. Doom, 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 doom. And it's like the t- the tempo is way off. Or he would count something like he would count a tune that's in three. He would count it off in four or vice versa. You know, and it's like. How are you? How is this guy the music director? But like and you he's said, the director. Yeah, he's the director. Yeah, yeah, it's, like, it's not that uncommon, man. I, and that's what I'm saying. But you can't, you know, you can't learn that watching YouTube. No. You know, <laughs> how to deal with it and that's right. that's right attitudes and all that stuff. But I do love the fact that all of this technology is is spreading the word about drummers and and oh, more yeah. people are getting into it and there's you know there's more players and they want. I, I was talking to someone earlier today that whatever it is that is the gateway drug for people to get into drumming. I'm cool with me too. Uh, but at some point I think there has to be some, if you want to really develop as a player, not just like an athlete, but you want to develop as a, as an artist, right. You got to do some serious, uh, like studying, not just shedding. That's right. You know? Yeah. And as much as you can learn about what the other musicians that you play with do harmonically, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, melodically the more you know about the music the better you can perform it yeah 100 percent. So, so you know there are some guys that, that go to some kids that go to man i don't care about my classes i just want to practice my drums no, mm-hmm. no. you got to learn about counterpoint because when you improvise or you you accompany a, a saxophone solo you are the counterpoint yeah. so you know about counterpoint mm-hmm. as much as you can you know uh, so I, sometimes I have to talk him into going to class. Go to class. He says, yeah, but I, I might not have my lesson together. Don't worry about yeah. that. I'm thinking the whole semester, not one week at a time. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Do you have a particular, say, philosophy, teaching philosophy that you that you hip all your students to in the beginning? Yeah. <clears throat> what I what, what, it may seem a little far fetched, but what, one of the things I I, I I discuss at the beginning of a a relationship with a student is for me. <clears throat> someone's style or someone's gift to the world is like a soup. Right? It's like mm-hmm. a big soup. And your talent and your desire is the broth. So if you really have a burning love for the instrument and music in general, and, and you're somewhat talented with good coordination naturally, okay, there's the broth. Right. But what you want to do is you want to make that soup rich with ingredients. So, you know, uh, practicing this or practicing that or studying with this guy or doing this and getting experience that's adding the oregano and the meatballs and the celery and all the ingredients of a good rich soup so when it's your time to here's my style you're going to pour out that soup and it's not going to be just water right yeah so that's something that i i i bring into into account and you know especially with students that uh Man, no, no, I want to play progressive this. Uh, I want to just do this one thing, you know. And I say, yeah, you know, that can be successful. But what if that, you know, isn't what ends up being popular, what ends up being livable? Right. So you've got to get other ingredients. And then when you do play what you want to play, it's, it's, you're not going to sound like the guy who did it before you. Mm-hmm. So you have a different soup. Yeah. I love Everything, that. Everything's I, about food, man, you know. Hey. We're both Italian. I, I get, and I grew up. My family's owned restaurants since '74, so I've been. I, I get it. I, I'm all about food. My wife works in food and wine. Like we're, I'm there. Uh, <laughs> of course, you know. I so have French. I have a French wife, so I'm getting a little, a little bit more northern because my family's Sicilian. Okay. You know? Okay. Yeah, we're from uh, Abruzzo, so we're about three hours east of Rome. Oh yeah. 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 Uh, my my wife loves French food. She's like, it's, how can you not like it? It's just butter. And I'm like, all right, well. <laughs> it's good, but it's not as good as the 
I, I, I like I'm partial to Italian food myself. Oh, me too. Myself, so. and, and and not necessarily in America. In no, Italy. no, in Italy. Yeah, actually, I like all. I like ethnic food more than yeah. you know. Like, I love everything. Luckily, I live in an area where you know you can get. I can get everything from Afghanistan to Indian to mm. to Chinese and Thai and everything. So it's great. That's great. Um, so I want to I want to ask you about two things. One um, about failures that that you've had. What are some failures that that you've had that that were really I don't know about life changing, but you really learned from from those failures that you can impart on the listeners. Hmm. Well, like I said, when I was had that gig when I was eighteen, the Royal the Roy Haynes one. Yeah, yeah, that was doing. It was with an organist from Washington. His name was uh, maybe from Baltimore, yeah. that area. Uh, he said, you know, Galati, you, you got the gig, uh, until, and it was five nights a week for the whole time I was a student at Berkeley. Mm-hmm. So I worked every night just, you know, nice. and, uh, oh, it was wonderful. He, he said, your gig until Jimmy hops comes to town <laughs> and Jimmy hops is a drummer from Baltimore. Right. And so four or five years went by. And then one night we're playing and this guy walks in the club with a set of drums strapped to him no cases just with with belts <laughs> and it was jimmy hops and that was my last night really yeah and <laughs> that crushed me although we did we did a few gigs with two of us uh, but it's over right and that, that, that really hurt you yeah. know he had told me long in advance i mean when i was on this gig it was very close to berkeley this club and all the drummers of the time they'd come in every night sitting in right and, and, and Webster Lewis, is, that was his name. Uh, he'd say, you know, you can sit in as long as it's cool with Bob, uh, but it's his gig. He dug me. I don't know why. He was way over my head. <laughs> I mean, it was so much, you know. Well, I mean, apparently I, not, you know. I mean, Mason would come in every other night. Odd Gore, Peter Donald. I mean, these cats were burning. Right. And, and you know, we'd let him sit in, but it was it was my gig. But when I lost it from Jimmy Hops, that that was it. And it's so amazing, Nick, because years later I was playing with my group, The Fringe, at the Red Sea Jazz Festival in Israel. Mm-hmm. Right? And it was a time where there was a lot of rockets being shot. You know, right. so the bandstand was is completely a huge bandstand. It was, you know, forty, fifty thousand people. But the bandstand was covered in sheet metal. Device. And the people That the doesn't audience, give you much uh much uh you know The sound was out. The sound oh, the was, sound forgot I wasn't even thinking about that. I was thinking how are you concentrated while you're looking around for missiles? Well, no, it, it wasn't it wasn't all that bad, but 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 the people, the audience didn't start for oh two or three hundred meters away. Wow. They wouldn't let the crowds close to the bandstand in case there was something. Mm. So we're playing to no one except for down the street. Right. This, this huge audience. It's very strange. But anyway, after the gig, we, 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 I'm taking my cymbals down, and this guy walks right up to the bandstand in these robes, right? Right out of a, 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 a Roman movie, right? right? And And – I looked, and it was Jimmy Hops. <laughs> he goes, "I'm coming to take your gig." No. <laughs> he had, he had, he had uh, yeah, right. He had disappeared, man. Really? Ten years, ten years later, just where's Jimmy Hops, man? He's gone. Anyway, he was an Ethiopian uh, uh, descent, and he became a Bedouin. Hmm. You know that these people they live in the desert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Constantly move. Anyway, here he was. He said, "Galati." I said, "Jimmy, what? Are, what?" And he says, let's talk. So we spoke for a while, and he actually invited me to his, his village the, the following day. And it was in the desert of Egypt. That's where they had settled Whoa. for three or four weeks. And we hung. We played music for them. And, and uh, uh, How they was took, that? Oh, man, it was so deep. I, that's, that's like really, an amazing – that's an amazing once-in-a-lifetime. came back to the States, and I called, and I said, I know where Jimmy Hops is. He's in the desert of Egypt. He's a Bedouin. Why did he decide to do that? Uh, just religious reasons. Yeah. Spiritual guy and, and uh, got sick of uh, materialism and whatever. You right. Know? Uh, but what a drummer. Oh. Yeah. Could he still oh. play? 
Yeah, he plays. He's the musician of the of the group. Oh, okay. Okay. Another one is the, he, another one gets the food. Another one does this. Is a doctorish. You know, there's like forty or fifty people, and they they don't have a. They just live, and when they leave an area, they leave it like they've never been there. Right. It's 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 unbelievable. That's man. amazing. What a path, huh? Yeah. Everybody's and- path is different, you know. And I, like, not only to do that, but for you, it, it had to be a trip to sort of be brought into this, brought into I this. I freaked thing. out, man. I freaked out. Man. Yeah. Did you come home and th- and think you needed to reevaluate your whole life? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Because I would have. had a wonderful meal out there. Yeah. They had uh, shot uh, some buck, some lamb or some shit. And, and I didn't even know what it was, but it was delicious. Man. Uh, man. It was pretty amazing, yeah. That is pretty. That is pretty amazing. Um, so let's. I, I, I want to be cognizant of your time. Um, what? So outside of Berkeley. So who else? So you're playing with the Fringe, right? Yeah, that's my main group. And then is that who else you play? Because I feel like you have like a bunch of things going on. Yeah, I do have a lot of stuff going. On. <laughs> I, I play with a lot of different people in Boston and New York, and, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm constantly uh, moving. My wife and I have a house in France now. So oh, nice. I'm over there a lot, and I'm playing with cats from Paris, and uh, so yeah, I just stay busy. Just stay all. busy. Do you teach outside of Berkeley too? Just at my house, yeah. Just at your house. You don't do the Skype thing or anything like that, right? No, no. I, as you as you found out, I'm terrible with the computer. Hey, it's working. I mean, you, you it's figured working. It out. You figured it out. <laughs> we made it easy with the help of my wife. <laughs> right. <laughs> so if um if people do want to study with you, get in touch with you, uh, keep tag along uh or follow along with what you're doing what's the best place to do it bob galati at hotmail okay yeah i can i'll put that in the show notes too so that uh okay so that if people want to get in touch with you and all that fun stuff um but bob i this is a great conversation i really do appreciate you taking the time to to chat this was this was a ton of fun man it really was you're welcome thank you all right i'll talk to you soon i have some calamari for me all right right, i will all right so there you have it the one and only bob gulati i hope you dug that i hope you got some great information out of it i know that i did as well talk about a cool story with his with his son being at the fish concert and him coming out and the drums are getting lowered down i thought that was a really amazing story uh, anyway, you can check out the show notes by going to drummersresource.com forward slash session 235. Don't forget to sign up for the email list. You can do that just by going to drummersresource.com and I'll send you a copy of my ebook. Plus, you'll get the Monday and Friday emails from me that are just, it's just a bunch of content uh, keeps you in the know about what was released and also, you know, some new music that I'm listening to, what I'm watching, what I'm reading, uh, just a bunch of stuff that you may want to check out. I think you'll dig. So do that at drummersresource.com. And until the next podcast keep drumming thank you so much for listening and i'll be talking to you soon peace